0: Before we begin our show this week, I have a huge happy birthday shout out for Elaine, who is also my mother and one of the greatest lovers and supporters of the show. So her birthday is tomorrow, the 11th. So let us all please wish Elaine a very, very happy birthday. Please include her in your heart, thoughts and prayers that she has many, many, healthy birthdays to come. Happy birthday, Mom. This show is dedicated to you. This program is being monitored by Spirit for quality purposes. Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. This is a transdenominational podcast. Everyone is welcome and safe here, no matter what your faith is or isn't. Hello, my name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained transdenominational minister, director of Oblates Perpetual Light, a shamanic light worker specializing in intuitive, quantum, and angelic healing, a studying Kabbalist, and a life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. So, be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Bless you and enjoy the show. and welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, welcome, welcome. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a long-time listener, supporter, and lover of the show. It is because of you that this show is here. So I have a super maha and cred amazing person to sh- I know, wh- who isn't <laughs> that we share on the show? This one is really, really super fantastical, and I'll be playing that disclaimer here in a moment. Uh, but uh, it is a bio written by Puja Sri Ekarala Banadwaja. And it is about an Islamic and Hindu mystic named Hajarat Baba Tajuddin Aliya of Nagpur. He is one of the most well-known, the most amazing Sufis uh, ever in history. And we're going to be talking and learning about him today. And we've talked a little bit about uh, Sufism here and there, just very, 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 very lightly and very gently. Um, And I know I could have done a show on what uh, the Sufi faith is first, but I thought it'd be best to cover uh, the bio and the amazing miracles that one of the greatest Sufi mystics um, was and did first. And that way it gives you kind of a taste of what uh, the Sufi faith is and how similar it is to all of the other faiths and all of the other mystics and saints. So without further ado, the views and opinions expressed by the host, moi, are solely, which I mean that literally, mine. Any and all content provided is my opinion. And is not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. I always recommend that you, the listener, further investigate, contemplate, and meditate on everything that is shared. ISE's individual soul experiences will vary. Listening discretion is advised. Warning: The following may be considered fantastical. So from here on, we'll refer to him as Tajudin Baba or Baba Tajuddin. How's that? Okay. So because I can't keep saying all those names throughout the whole show, it's a it's a tongue twister enough as it is. Uh, but anyway, uh, Baba Tajuddin transcended. His Not only his faith, which was uh, the mystical part of the Muslim faith, which is the Sufi faith, uh, but he also transcended Hinduism as well, which is just mind-blowing that he crossed two different faiths and was just so outstanding and so well-revered amongst both faiths. So the article begins that Tajuddin uh, Baba or Baba Tajuddin has been one of the most outstanding mystics of his time. He was most intimately loved by both the Hindus and the Muslims for his highly amazing spiritual powers and universal benedictions enjoyed by millions of the suffering humanity. And he was in the um, in India uh, most of his life. So at that point between 1861 and 1925, I mean, India is a very hard country to live in now as it is the poverty level is so very high. But back then, it was not only the poverty levels were high in the caste system, but you also had the British that were in control of the government of India. It is a great pity that nobody cared to publish his his exemplary life story and marvelous deeds ever since his disappearance from the scene of this world. I think it is his own spiritual blessing that I am inspired to publish his biographical sketch. In these pages, in order to preserve the glorious history of India's innumerable spiritual redeemers, to uphold the eternal dignity of all ancient religions. And again, this is from the author whose name is Sri Ekarala uh, Banda Waja. And I will have a link uh, to not only the article, but because this bio is actually online for free. It's 50 pages. No, I'm not going to read all 50 pages here. Uh, you can do that if you wish. Uh, I'm going to touch on eh, probably about a little bit less than half of the uh, bio. So just the, uh, the nice uh, vegan meat and potatoes parts. So we begin with his birth. The ancestors of Tajuddin Baba were Arabs. Sayyid Abdullah, a grandson of Hazrat Iman Askari. Came from Arabia to India and settled down in Madras. The descendants of his family thus happened to live around this city for a long time. One of them, Said Badruddin, became a Subadar in the army, Madras Platoon number thirty two in Live in Campti. He married Mariam B., the daughter of a sheikh, Miran Sahib. Said Badruddin had a son born on Thursday, the 27th of January, 1861, at about 5.15 a.m. at Campti, and he was named Kajuddin. But they were shocked to see that the newly born child did not cry. As usual, they feared it was stillborn. And according to the prevalent custom, now this, <laughs> this is going to be hard to stomach, folks. The prevalent custom at the time branded it on, excuse me, branded the child on its forehead and temples. The child then cried for only a little while, but almost immediately stopped and kept gazing intently into all directions. The marks of the branding remained forever on the forehead and temples of the pious child. So... If you didn't catch that, because I know everybody's probably thrown off when it's when I it said they, they branded him. Uh, what it was is he was born. He was not crying. So I, I don't know what prompted them to think he was stillborn. I mean, if he's moving and breathing, um, I guess back then they didn't take that consideration. So they took a hot iron and branded him, touched it to his forehead, into his temples. And of course, he. He cried for a second, but then he stopped again. Hardly had the child completed one year when his father, Sayed Badruddin, passed away. And when he was nine years old, his mother also died. The orphan was then brought up and educated at his mother's house by his grandmother. He was admitted in a school at the age of six. Up to the age of 18, he studied Arabic, Persian, and English. So long-time listeners will see the, how the flow of his story is going so far, how his life is flowing. It's flowing exactly the same as so many of the saints and amazing beings that we've spoken about on this show. In his sixth year, when Tajuddin was at school in Campti, a famous Muslim saint, Hazarat Abdullah Shah, whose tomb is now adjoining the railway station at Campti, came to see him. He gazed at Tajuddin, took out a piece of sweet meat from his bag, chewed a bit of it, and thrust the rest into Tajuddin's mouth. He then told one of the teachers standing by, what can you teach him? He is already well taught in his previous life. And addressing the young Tajuddin, he said, eat little, sleep little, and talk little. While reading Quran, read As though the holy prophet Muhammad has descended upon you. This strange incident affected a profound change in Tajuddin. Tears flowed from his eyes continuously for three days, and he lost all interest in play and childish pranks. He sought solitude and was always found reading the works of the great Sufi saints, and reflecting upon their profound significance of all that he read. The one couplet that captured his heart most was Drink wine, burn Quran and Kaaba, dwell in the mandap, which is temple, but never hurt the feelings of or cause pain to any human heart. So, yes, folks, that is a well known Muslim and Sufi saying. Now, most people, especially in the West, have such a bad image of the Muslim faith because of extremists. Uh, But there are extremists in every faith, every faith. And you cannot, nor should you, judge a faith based on the actions of a few. So again, I want to read this again by saying, especially the last part, never hurt the feelings of or cause pain to any human heart. These are words that he uh, young, very young, six years old, Tajuddin started to live his life by. Hazrat Abdullah Shah was a Sufi dervish, which uh, is a a Muslim mystic, and you probably all heard of the whirling dervishes. Uh, that's when the the uh, Sufis become um, in a meditative state and um, attain a high level of awakening. Or, or ecstasy, and they start to spin and dance. So neither he nor the Sufi mystic who wrote the above lines could hardly have meant these lines literally. It must be remembered that they are meant quite differently from what they appear outwardly. Meaning, you don't burn a Quran. The com- commonest, excuse me, commonest examples of the use of terms of drinking, love making, and intoxication in their poetry to connote mystical experiences. So the above lines actually meant that one has to drink the wine of true and sincere devotion and faith and not the dirty wine of worldly life. That the Holy Quran is neither the parchment or the ink in which it is inscribed, nor the Holy Kaaba, the stone, nor is it right to be caught in the narrow religious bigotry of hating other religions, like belittling places of worship of other religions as the Hindu manhaps. The most important of all is the non-injury of the body, of the religious feelings and sentiments of any human being. Indeed, Tajuddin's spiritual career had been an unwritten, unuttered, Commentary on these lines. When he became the full-fledged Tajuddin Aliyah, he ordered equal treatment of both the Hindus and the Muslims as his story proves. Wow, that is just so mind-blowing. So I, I so hope and pray that as we go through Tajuddin's Baba Tajuddin's story, that your preconceived notions and beliefs of what you think the Muslim faith. The Sufi faith, the Hindu faith, any faith other than what you profess to be uh, is erroneous. It's it's an error. It's wrong, and that these people are God-loving people, just like you, just like me, just like everyone, either is or should be. So not only that, when he rose up in the ranks and became a you know declared a, a high-ranking master or teacher in the Sufi faith, he made sure that not only Muslims, but Hindus as well were treated equally and fairly. Now, this is something that was unheard of, especially in those days. And it was very dangerous to do that as well, because there was so much fighting between faiths. There still is today. I mean, just turn on the news, look at the media. It's it's all there. It's just, it's truly terrible that, the message of Jesus Christ is just used as a weapon against other people and is just so mistaken, misinterpreted, misunderstood. Um, and I'm not saying everybody. I'm not, you know, those of you who are listening are listening because you're not that type of person. But we all know those people. Again, if you if you have any questions about all you do, just watch the news or turn on the media, social media, and you will see. For all outward signs, nothing of significance happened in the life of Tajuddin for the next twelve years. In his eighteenth year, River Kama, or excuse me, Kamhan, near Kamti, was in furious floods, and the house of his uncle was badly damaged. Young Tajuddin was deeply touched at the sight of the flood victims. Owing to the consequential loss, his uncle, Hazarat Abdul Raham, was compelled to work in the forest office for a living, and he also advised his nephew to join the army. Accordingly, at the age of 20, in 1881, Tajuddin joined the 13th Nagpur Regiment. In the course of his army duties, Tajuddin traveled extensively in the country and was also sent out to foreign countries like France. On his return, the regiment camped at a grass farm in Hyderabad, Excuse me, Hyderabad, which is called Deccan. I'm not familiar with that area. There, an American officer, Mr. Benz, came into contact with Tajuddin, who thought him the Holy Quran. Yeah, yeah, who thought him the Holy Quran. Another military officer, Mr. William, was a bosom friend of Tajuddin, in whose company he advised in spirituality. Later, Mr. William went to live in Calcutta, where his tomb can be seen even today in the graveyard at Bang Marie. In 1884, Tajuddin's regiment reached Sagor. All through his career in the army, Tajuddin never neglected his namaz, which is Muslim prayer. One day in Sagor, Tajuddin was lured by a melodious voice, which led him to a lonely wasteland nearby where a famous Shisti, Saint Hazrat Dawood Shah, lived. Henceforth, he used to attend regularly to the service of this Muslim saint. He used to spend much of his time in meditation in the company of the saint every day after his army duties. Sometimes he stayed away with him in the night also. When his grandmother learnt at Campy Campi, that he was not staying in tent at night, she rushed to Sigor suspecting that Chaduddin had fallen into some evil company. She stepped stealthily followed him at night, but found that he was meditating with a Muslim saint. Next morning, when Tajuddin returned home, she served him with breakfast. But Tajuddin said he would eat his own Ladu and Peda, which is two Indian sweets, and stared, stared chewing up the two stones he had in his hand. The old lady was awfully surprised at this phenomenon. He was eating rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and realized that Tajuddin's devotional life had given him some devotional powers and that her suspicious suspicions excuse me, about his character were wrong. She returned to her town happily. Even after Hazrat Dawud Shisti death, Tajuddin continued his meditations and Mujahedis, which is spiritual practices, often near the deceased tomb. So we see Tajuddin's following along, even though he's in a different faith, he's following along in the same ways, the same footsteps as so many great masters, teachers, and saints that we've talked about on the show. And my apologies, folks, in advance if I'm stuttering and stammering here and there, because uh, this article is translated from Hindi to English, so some of the English is broken or not quite complete, so I'm I'm trying to (laughs) correct it as I go. Tajuddin's meeting with Hajrat Dawood Shisti marked the second important landmark in his life. His meditations and his mujahadis soon became more intensified, and he found his job in the army a great hindrance to his new life. And so he tendered his resignation directly to his commander. The latter was, however, shocked and at once wrote to his relations about his rash action. His grandmother, feeling that Tajuddin had become mentally cracked, came to Sogor, here she comes, here comes Grandma again, and found him quite a different man, wandering unaware of his worldly needs and responsibilities. As if in quest of something intangible, she took him to Campney, where the doctors tried to cure him for madness And magicians used all kinds of talismans in vain. They could not realize by the grace of God and attention of his guru, he had attained the high mystical state of all existence. in which one forgets the self, the ego, the I, me, and mine that we've talked about so much here lately on the show. But the people generally took him for a madman. Children flocked round him and threw stones at him. But he always smiled and was never offended with them. On the contrary, he encouraged them by heaping the stones they needed in the place so they were ready for their use. If people dissuaded the children from stoning him, he would get angry with them for their interference. So what's actually going on here? What has happened is Tajudin's spirit, his soul, has awakened so brightly that he has allowed his soul, his spirit, to completely consume his existence. So his spirit is now conscious, fully conscious and aware and walking around in the body that is Tajuddin. Now, I know we've talked about this quite a bit about the importance of a balance, and that's why it is important that there is a balance, because if you allow the spirit to become too much or to allow it to overtake the body too much and suppress your humanness, then to other people, outward appearances, you look crazy. Uh, In Tibetan Buddhism, they're called crazy yogis. Uh, These are uh, great mystics of Buddha, Tibetan Buddhism who are also referred to as yogis, and Hindus also have mystics that are called yogis. And they do the same thing, that they are now spirit complete, 100% pure spirit in physical form. And we've had so much talk lately, especially here in the States, uh, lately about um, aliens in the news and Going before Congress and all of this stuff, you know, people talking about aliens and if they exist or not. So, this is a good example. This would be a good example of an alien just coming down to Earth and wandering about and, you know, kind of taking in what's going on from a perspective of an otherworldly being. Because your soul, your spirit is not of this world, it's not from this world, it's from the Creator, from God. Adonai, Hashem, um, the great mother, Hecate, the universe. Again, whatever you want to label, Allah, whatever you want to label that which is beyond labels. So, again, it's hard for us to fathom that seeing someone like this, you can't blame the people for thinking that he's crazy. You know, some might think maybe he's shell-shocked from the military. I mean, even his own grandmother was like, she didn't recognize the person that he had become and was very concerned about his mental health. Not only had doctors, but also had, you know, magicians, uh, which are, you know, high ranking saints and nature workers of those days, try to snap him out of it. But the thing is, is no one realized there was nothing to snap him out of that. He had attained his highest level that any person can attain in their human form. If anything, they needed to get him to a guru or someone uh, that's as, as high as he was mystically and, and spiritually and help to help him ground himself a little bit to where you know, the spirit is still pre- prevalent in, in taking, uh, doing everything they can do with the body. But however, you're able to be more human and kind of blend in a little bit, if that makes sense. So Tajuddin lived in this state for four years in Kampdi, during which period his grandmother died, unaware of the glorious future of her grandson. Now his uncle, Abdul Raham, took him to Chanda. There, too, he was treated in vain for his madness, and he was sent back to Kampdi and left to his own faith. He was abandoned. He lived under bridges and in ruins, caring little for the sun and rain. When it rained, he stood under some tree or the other. Now he was completely naked and hardly had any inclination for food or drink. When anyone gave him anything to eat, he gave it away to the stray dogs on the road. Again, this is exactly what our spirit's essence and energy is. It is that pure You can if you want to refer, if it helps you understand better by using the the term angelic, then by all means, use that. So he's became an angel or angelic in a human form. So he doesn't need anything. He doesn't necessarily need food he's living off of. And I know this is really far out there, fantastical, but it's very well known with people at, at his caliber that he didn't he didn't need food to survive that the light of the creator was sustaining him and again i know this is very far fetched very fantastical very out there but it's absolutely true and there are documented cases of this my apologies for the brief show interruption are you in need of healing I am beyond blessed and elated to be able to offer healing sessions to you. I am able to offer healing sessions at an intuitive, quantum, and or angelic level. The mode of healing used depends on the healing you require. We begin with a discovery call. This call lasts approximately 30 minutes. It is absolutely free and is used for us to get to know each other and explore your healing needs. After this, if you wish to continue, we will have the initial consultation call. Here I will explain to you what modes of healing I will be using, what this entails, and what to expect. This session will last one hour. The minimum donation is $20. Next is the actual healing sessions. These sessions last for one hour each. The minimum donation is $50 per session or three sessions for $100. If money is an issue for you, which it is for just about all of us, please do not hesitate to book a discovery call. Again, reminder, that is absolutely free. We can discuss during that call the minimum donation or possibly bartering, which I'm always open to. To book a session, please contact me at faithinmorepodcast at gmail.com. Bless you, and I hope to work with you soon. At last, when every human being abandoned Tajudin, the hand of the Lord was stretched to shield him. Now, miracles started manifesting themselves through him, and this made the people realize the real stuff of which Tajuddin was made. Hundreds of these miracles were narrated by the amazed public, and now he was properly called Tajuddin Baba. Let us see a few of these amazing miracles. One day, Tajuddin Baba briskly walked to the house of a goldsmith in Camp and told him, Vacate your building. Remove your belongings as soon as you can. The goldsmith, who had already heard of the Baba and revered him, immediately obeyed his order. The same night, the building collapsed. The goldsmith and his family were saved, and they became Baba Tajuddin's staunch devotees. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term Baba, B-A-B-A, that means teacher, like great teacher. On another occasion, Tajuddin Baba walked to the door of a good man and asked for food. There was no food at this hour, he said to Baba. The man replied, but the Baba (laughs) would not budge and said, why do you utter lies? You have kept the food in the box the man who had already heard of Baba's extraordinary powers went in and searched the box. To his astonishment, he did find some food in the box, although none had been put there before the very best of his memory. So now his reputation begins to spread. News of Tajuddin Baba's miraculous powers spread like wildfire, and crowds always thronged around him, seeking his blessings for each and every kind of their wishes and endeavors, when such a miraculous help becomes so easily obtainable and does not cost anything in return, it is human nature to lose sight of the sublimity and the underlies that underlies it. Instead of steadily rising to dignity and success with self-help and sacrifice, man seeks to pull it down to the level of his myriad cravings, both worthy and worthy. And unworthy. Amen to this. Isn't that the truth? Amen to that. When such a mentality prevails in the crowds, a perfect saint is forced to limit his accessibility to only those who have the germ of carving for spiritual development, which can be sparked by the manifestation of his divine powers. While he openly denied the same to those who see the witness them just to satisfy their idle curiosity. And the perfect saint has always an unerring and uncanny insight into these aspects of the seeker's personalities and prosperities. Not comparing uh, to Jaden Baba to Jesus, but Jesus did the very same thing. He could have easily went around and healed everyone, but he didn't. He had select people that he, I mean, yes, sometimes when the crowds came, he would heal the entire crowd. But for the most part, he was very selective on people that he healed. The same applied to Tajuddin because people were just coming to be healed. They didn't care who he was, what he represented. They didn't care about God. They didn't care about faith. They just wanted, bottom line, they wanted something. They wanted to, what have we talked about so much here lately, take. They didn't want to give. They wanted to take. They didn't want to be builders. They wanted to be destroyers. So they just wanted to take, 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 take and not focus on their spirituality to become more spiritual uh, to say, like, you know, when Jesus would heal somebody, they would become, you know, his disciple. But one of his followers uh, or start studying more of their faith, their faith would increase where these people were just coming for selfish means. So, of course, as you can only imagine, If he's healing certain people and not healing others, how are these people going to act and react? How did they treat Jesus? What happened to him? Not to that extreme happened to Chaduddin Baba, but it was rough. So accordingly, at one stage, Chaduddin Baba got fed up with the unworthy demand for miracles. And one day he declared, tomorrow I shall enter the lunatic asylum. And the next day, he did what he said. But the way he did it was very strange and funny. Next day, at dawn, Tajudan Baba stood stark naked in front of the European ladies' tennis club. Remember, the British were ruling India at that time. The English ladies naturally got enraged at his unbecoming conduct and approached the police to put him in the lunatic asylum in Nagpur, an order was accordingly issued by the district magistrate of Campti Catonement on the 26th of August, 1892. However, it soon became evident that Tajuddin, the madman, could never be because sometime when he was locked up in a cell, he could be found wandering freely on the roads of Nagpur. In the register of the asylum, the age of Tajuddin Baba at the time of his admission, was recorded as 32 years, 7 months, and 9 days. So in a way, to protect himself, so what happened to Jesus didn't happen to him. Again, not comparing the two, but just showing you the similarities in the stories. He He gets himself committed to an asylum. But while in the asylum, he starts long time listeners what's he what's he doing when he's in one place but seen in other places he's bi locating which so many of the other saints that we've talked about on the show have done before I mean mainly uh Saint padre Pio could bi locate so he was doing that very same thing now <laughs> here's here's where a problem comes up so a few days after Tajuddin Baba was put into the asylum by the police. The English ladies, whose wrath earned Tajuddin Baba his reward, saw him walking on the road towards his house at Campti. They suspected that he had escaped, so they filed a complaint with the police. They proceeded straight to the asylum. The police did to blame for setting to blame the people at the asylum for setting him free or letting him escape. But to their amazement. There was, he was there. He was still bound in his cell and securely locked, and there he was. This, however, was not to be a stray incident or the only one of the kind reported, by, reported of Tajuddin Baba's strange powers. At that time, the chief doctor of the asylum was Dr. Abdul Majid. One night, when he went around the hospital, he found that while all the other lunatics... Were, I don't. I dislike that word. All of the other mentally ill or mentally challenged were locked up in their cells. Tajuddin Baba was loitering in the veranda of the cell. The doctor quietly went to the attendant on duty and took him to the task for his negligence, kind of chewed him out for leaving that one again, lunatic free. But the surprised attendant assured Dr. Abdul Majid that he did lock in every person securely. He personally led the doctor to the particular cell of Baba Tajuddin to prove his claim. Dr. Abdul Majid was stunned to see that this time Tajuddin Baba was inside his cell, securely locked up. This miraculous incident convinced the doctor of the real nature of Baba Tajuddin's madness, and henceforth, Dr. Abdul Majid lived only as his devotee, seeking his blessings and and guidance in everything he did. Later on, his experiences of Baba's divine powers were numerous. We shall relate just a few of these experiences also." So we see the head doctor of the asylum sees Tajuddin Baba in an area where he shouldn't be at that hour, and then goes and chews out the guy that's on duty in charge of making sure everybody's locked up, goes and finds Tajuddin Baba in a cell and immediately it clicks and resonate with, with him who and what Tajuddin Baba really is and he immediately becomes his devotee and for the rest of his life he stays with Tajuddin Baba and helps him um, so he's going to share some of those miraculous incidents that was with with that doctor so one day One of the patients, I'm not going to call them lunatics, patients escaped from the asylum and could not be traced. The superintendent, Dr. Abdul-Majid, was very much perturbed. At that time, Baba Tajudin approached him and said, don't worry, he will return of his own accord tomorrow. The next day, the madman was found standing near the gate of the asylum and was taken in by the attendants. When Dr. Abdul-Majid interrogated him, About his whereabouts, the madman replied that after leaving the asylum, he wandered a while. And when he was going to Dr. Abdul Majid's house, he met Tajuddin Baba, who brought him to the gate of the asylum and let him there and went in. While he was waiting there, guards took him in. What is more surprising about this incident is that all the while, Tajuddin Baba did not stir outside of his own cell. This amazing incident only reinforced the doctor's faith in the Baba's miraculous powers. For a particular need, Dr. Abdul Majid, as usual, sought Tajuddin Baba's permission to go to Bombay on some personal business. Of course, he would go to him and say, hey, you know, when is a good time for me to travel, a safe time for me to travel, a safe route to travel, um, you know, because Tajuddin Baba could, you know, see uh, into the future and, you know, help guide people into what would be, according to the creator, the best thing and ways for them to do it. The Baba, however, kept quiet, but the doctor repeated his question thrice. As though in annoyance, Tajudan so Baba said, "If you don't want to heed my warning, you may go, but keep this leaf with you. He handed him a leaf, which he picked up from the ground. The doctor kept it in his pocket and left for bombay on his journey he got down to Bunsaval railway yard and suddenly an engine rushed toward him everyone thought the doctor was killed as there was no escape but in that movement of awful fright dr abdul majid fell down on the track unconscious strangely enough the engine came to a sudden halt in the nick of time the firemen and the driver got down to find out the cause of the sudden halt because the engine was not pulled by any one of them. How did it come to a perfect standstill of its own accord? They were wonderstruck to see this highly amaine incident and took the doctor for a saint with miraculous powers and praised him for stopping the engine in a most impossible manner. This glaring incident was witnessed by all people at the station. The doctor, however, revealed that it was the miracle of the leaf in his pocket and told them of Baba Tajuddin's warning. So if you didn't quite catch that, because of some of the terminology, the doctor goes to Bombay because, you know, he's, he's asking and demanding that Baba Tajuddin give him, you know, some guidance on going. And when he's quiet, he keeps berating him saying, you know, tell me, tell me, tell me. And his silence was telling him, don't go. Now is not the appropriate time or safe time to go. But then, you know, he keeps persisting. So that's when he gives him this leaf. So the doctor goes to Bombay and I know bewitched fans are saying, Dr. Bombay. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) So He goes to Bombay and he's at the railway station. So he's crossing the railway tracks and I guess he didn't see the train coming. So this train is coming, barreling at him and he instantly just collapses on the tracks and faints. But before the train could run him over, it came to an abrupt stop just before striking him to which the engineer and the driver get out and are just completely stunned because they didn't pull the brake. They didn't cut the engine. They were still going. So, of course, they give the doctor credit for being uh, um, a miracle saint. And, you know, he's like, no, you know, it's it's, it's Baba Tajud, not me. Besides his own personal experiences, Dr. Abdul Majid, also witnessed numerous other miracles experienced by a large number of people who came to see Baba's blessings. Excuse me, seek Baba's blessings from far and near, even at the asylum. For instance, he once saw a rich Seth who came to Baba Tajuddin to seek his blessing for his father, who was dangerously ill in Bombay, and whom all the best doctors had failed to cure. Before he had even had a chance to relate his predicament, the Baba spoke out, Go back, your father is well. But the Seth could hardly believe it and thought it might be just a way of dismissing him. He immediately wired home and inquired and got a telegraphic reply saying that his father was really all right. The Seth fell at the feet of the saint in solemn gratitude and distributed alms to the poor. Dr. Abdul Majid was not the only doctor who had witnessed Baba Tajuddin's miracles. The manner in which Dr. K.G. pound became a staunch devotee of Baba is still more wonderful. Dr. was originally practicing in Patna and longed to secure a job, a good job. Once, when he was on his way to River Ganja for a dip, a Brahmachari Bab, which was a celibate, attracted him by his very glowing countenance. After a little conversation with him, Dr. Panauskar pleaded for his blessing and promised him that if he got a good job, he would take him on a pilgrimage. Not long after, he did get his posting as medical officer at Nagpur. He immediately fulfilled his promise with the Brahmacharya Baba and promptly took him on a pilgrimage. The Baba was awfully pleased to hear from Dr. Paunzikhar that he was posted in Nagpur, and after finishing the pilgrimage, he also proceeded to Nagpur along with the doctor. When they reached Nagpur, the Brahmachari Baba led Dr. Paunzikhar straight to the gate of the asylum, and standing there, called out loudly, "O Brother Chajudin, here is our boy i hand him over to you please take care of him and so saying the brahmachari baba suddenly disappeared leaving the onlookers dumbfounded in utter amazement this happened in front of other people there were witnesses it is interesting to note that tajuddin baba who was at the movement sitting under excuse me the moment sitting under a tree inside the asylum was heard responding to the call of brahmachari baba yes yes he is our family. Where else can he go? Dr. Pounziker was overwhelmingly surprised, not only by this incident of the mystical dialogue between the two saints, but he also was amazed, especially when he came to know later that they were complete strangers to each other. After some time, Tajuddin Baba told Dr. Pounziker that he must go to Sikori and meet Upasani, uh, yeah, Upasani Maharaj there. When he went to Sikora, he did find that tajudan Baba's guidance and advice were quite correct. Thus, in the life of Dr. Pounziker, we see how three different great saints, Per-Sahib of Patna, in the garb of Ramachari Baba, Tajudin Baba, and Upasini Maharaj, worked together in making Dr. as advice spiritually. Their religious labels made no difference whatsoever. In their spiritual careers. So these are these other Brahmins that they're talking about, these other teachers were of the Indian, of the Hindu faith. They weren't of the Muslim faith. So you see how when these saints, when these beings, even you and me, get to this level that they are telepathically communicating, they are all part of what? Source. They're all part of the Creator. And they can communicate effortlessly. To each other. They know, again, using the alien example, they know when others of their nature are in the area nearby. And, and distance and time means nothing, absolutely nothing to them. And I know this is such a mind trip. This is just mind blowing. But it actually happens. And as with this, it is so witnessed by so many people. And bless Dr. Pounsicker Wow. He had three saints looking after him, his well-being and his prosperity and blessings. Just wow. After Dr. Abdul Majid's retirement, Dr. Kanishnath, excuse me, Kashinath Rayo became superintendent of the asylum at Nagpur. Though he was a Hindu and an orthodox Brahmin, he also became a staunch devotee of Tajuddin Baba. One instance of his miraculous experience is most interesting to mention. Once Dr. Kashinath Rao was sitting in his room all alone. Suddenly, he found Tajuddin Baba also sitting before him. He was simply frightened and highly amazed at this mysterious phenomenon because he knew pretty well that at that moment, Baba Tajuddin was locked up in his cell in the asylum. He had not recovered from his bewilderment yet when a strange voice was heard Through the wall of the room, greeting in the Islamic way, Asalam Alika Baba Tajuddin. And Tajuddin Baba immediately responded, Wa alikam us salam. And instantly, a part of the plaster of the wall fell down, revealing a hand with all the five outstretched fingers. Baba Tajuddin approached it and joined his hand with it. As a doctor was... Dumbfounded, looking on the whole episode in utter amazement, the hand vanished, and with it, Tajuddin Baba also disappeared. Immediately, Dr. Kashimat Rayo ran to Baba Tajuddin's cell to see what was happening there and found the saint locked up in a cell. He was busy with his prayer at that time. Thus, not a day passed without even the doctors who studied modern medicine being made to witness Baba Tajuddin's miracles. And no wonder that they all accepted him as their protector and benefactor. There is no end to Baba Tajuddin's marvelous miracles. Once an old man of Nakpur came to the Baba with his mother-in-law. One of his hands was badly paralyzed. When he came to the asylum, he met a pilgrim from Mecca who was sitting under a margit, which is a tree, the old man inquired of this Haji as to why he came there for such a long, from a long distance. The Haji replied, I am called here by Tajuddin Baba Sahib, who spent 21 days with me in Mecca and who had invited me here. Dr. Kashinath, who was also there, was astonished to hear this because Tajuddin Baba had been confined in the asylum for many years past. And there was no chance for him to escape and go to Mecca. The bewildered doctor was moved to tears and fell down at the feet of the saint in solemn adoration. The great saint then said, don't praise me much by announcing this to the public. The Baba then held the withered hand of the old man and said, oh, it's a foul disease. The patient felt that in the grip of the Baba, his hand got warmer. Finally, when he shook it once and released it, the old man's hand was quite all right. The saint then ordered him to go on a pilgrimage to Mecca in gratitude to Allah for the cure. Again, Allah is their name for God. Same as what we believe, it's just a different different label. One day, a gentleman came to Tajuddin Baba and prostrating before him, petitioned, Great Master, my daughter... Is in her last moments. Pray, grant her life. The Baba gazed calmly at the visitor's face for a moment, closed his eyes, and was in a trance for a while. When he opened his eyes, he said, go home. The daughter is past. She is all right now. When the gentleman reached home, he found his daughter sitting and eating something. Say what? I know, exactly, right? So, (laughs) overwhelming with gratitude, the mercy of God and his beloved Saint, Baba Judin, he asked his wife as to how the girl recovered so completely in such a short time. She told him that after he left for the asylum, a man appeared at the doorstep and finding her in tears, inquired of the cause of grief. When he heard of the procurator, excuse me, precarious condition of the child, he said, "Insha'Allah, now she will recover in no time. As soon as the man left, the child sat up and asked for something to eat. Once a group of students from Muslim University of al came to pay homage to Baba Tajuddin and photographed themselves with him in the group. But they were highly surprised to see that While all the students in the group came off nicely in the picture, Baba Tajuddin's image was not there. Such miracles were countless. Everyday crowds of devotees and visitors queued up at the asylum to have Baba Tajuddin Darshan and receive his infallible blessings. They offered him new clothes, fruits, sweets, beanies, and snuff, but he only touched and returned them and gave them away to anyone he pleased in the crowd. The strange powers of the saint had won the doctors and all the authorities of the asylum so much that they were soon obliged to permit him from all manual work, which the other inmates had to perform compulsory, and later they left even his cell unlocked. But Tajuddin Baba insisted on his being treated on equal footing, with the rest of the inmates, and did all the work, and always insisted upon being locked up in his cell. While such was the attitude of the medical officers in charge of the asylum, the government took a greedy view of things. Imagine that. It now decided to levy a fee on those who wished to see this miraculous soul at the asylum, despite the fact that many of the visitors were Englishmen who sought Baba's secure for their own cherished wishes. British devotees. To mention a few of the British devotees of Baba Tajuddin, Mr. Anthony MacDonald, the chief commissioner of Nagpur, and Colonel Rowe, the civil surgeon, were among the best admirers of the devotees of the saint. There were other dignitaries of the rank of extra assistance commissioner, Mr. Hafiz Malatullah Khan, and the city superintendent of police, Mr. Moti, who were devotees of Hazarat Baba. Even Maharaja Rogeshi Rayo Bansul of Nagpur was one of the staunch devotees of the Baba. He was one of the very frequent visitors to the asylum also. All these big people of Nagpur sought Baba's blessings to solve their problems privately and worldly, strangely enough. While so many high officials came to the asylum for Baba Tajuddin's darshan and blessings, it never occurred to them that an asylum was not the fit place for truly a great saint like Baba Tajuddin. So the government wants to tax and charge people to, to visit. So they're, they're selling tickets to make money. And all these great dignitaries are coming to see him. All these people are coming from all over the world, literally, to see the Baba some he actually <laughs> teleports to, bilocates to and invites them to come and even escorts them to the door, as we've seen. Uh, and others just have this heart feeling that they needed to go see him. But at no time does it occur to anyone that maybe we should get this saint a home and get him out of this asylum and put him in some place that is befitting in an honorific of such a person now Baba probably wouldn't have accepted it you know he probably would have turned it down um, but still you you know someone should have and could have offered it just goes to show that again you know here is this great saint who's operating on a um, spiritual level while everybody else is operating on a human level he's building they're destroying he's bestowing and giving and their taking. It was, however, Maharaja Robahashi Rayo who first got the idea of taking out Baba to Juden from the asylum, with idea with the idea of taking out Baba to Juden from the asylum, with the consent of Saint. He paid a sum of two thousand rupees as security to the asylum authorities to look to take the Baba to his own palace in nineteen oh eight. He thus ended the sixteen year long stay of Baba in the asylum to the delight of thousands of his devotees and admirers. The Maharaja put his palatial building, Lal Kothi, at Sakadara completely at the disposal of the saint. And not only this, he also provided a bhagi which is a carriage drawn by horses, servants, and pahalavans, which are wrestlers for service of Baba. I guess those are bodyguards. Very often, Maharaj, or the Maharaja himself, used to attend on him. But the king of kings, while staying at Sakadara, followed a particular routine of his own sufistic way of life freely. At Lakothi, For most of the time, the Baba remained in a state of trance. He woke up early and left the palace for his usual strolls and returned sometimes as late as 2 p.m. or even in the evening. People flocked around him from far and near with garlands, sweets, costly new clothes, and various other gifts. Every day was a festival day. Many shops sprang up along Baba's way. Songsters, musicians, and artists displayed their skill before him wherever he went even to the neighboring jungles where he loved to wander about. When hundreds of devotees offered him food and plates, he would taste a little from only one of the plates to please the devotees. All the rest was distributed, spe- especially among the poor and the orphans. Hazarat Tajuddin Baba wore only one long tunic or shirt all the time. Dr. Abdul Majid Khan was the greatest devotee of the Baba, Dr. Kasinath Rao, actually worshipped him as if he was a Hindu deity. He put flowers on his head, applied sandal paste to his forehead, and performed such rituals to which Baba Tajuddin never objected. Now, some of you might be saying, well, you know, that that's kind of crossing a line, ain't it? Isn't that adultery? Isn't he, you know, worshipping him as an idol and not? No, he's seeing the divine in Baba. And when he's doing these things, he's not doing them to or for Baba. He's doing them to and for the creator, for God, to God. You know, just again, not comparing the two, but just as people did with Jesus. They seen him as a representation. They saw the light of the divine emanating from him. And that is what they worship, not the human um physical Baba, but what he truly was, which is what we all are. It must be mentioned here that Tajuddin Baba's stay in the palace of the prince was a most unwilling condensation on his part. This was tolerated by the saint only because of the persistent appeals of the Maharaja. But in spite of all the comforts of the place, He always slept on the floor. When he walked out, even in the burning heat of summer, he went without shoes. In fact, this gilded home was also a prison for Baba Tajuddin. He performed, excuse me, he preferred to be a humble person and loved wandering in the jungles of Nagpur. So we see, even though he was taken from the asylum and put into a palace, from a prison to a palace, to him, it was still a prison. He, You know, even though he could come and go, he still had to report back. So, you know, one day he left the palace, as usual, and walked straight to Waki, which is a suburb of Nagpur, 16 miles from the city, and stayed there for one Patel Kashinath Rao, who welcomed him and served him well. The people of Waqi saw him walking barefooted and remaining exposed to rain, sun, and cold. in his shirt was drenched If his shirt was drenched in the rain, it dried on his body only. Here, too, as at Sakadara, many miracles took place. Here he named a mango tree as his hospital and directed all who sought his help in curing elements to sit under it and use that earth as medicine, and they were unfailingly cured. He named another spot as Mosque. Spiritual aspirants were asked to stay there and perform Mujahedah. Many performed penance in this mosque. The most famous among them was Mahar Baba, the Parsi seer of Ahmed Nagar, and Upasini Maharaj, the great saint and disciple of Sri Sai Baba Ashurdi. Similarly, those who crave for justice in litigation, etc., were directed to assemble at another spot, which he called the court of justice. There was a school also where students craving for distinction in examinations were asked to stay. The most remarkable of the countless miracles that happened during his stay at Sakadara and Waqui were the cases of reviving the dead and the curing of incurable diseases. The most famous of such cases was the case of Shrew, his dog. This dog displayed an unusual awareness of the saint's greatness and regarded service to him and his devotees its duty. Every day, Sheru used to go to the railway station punctually at the scheduled times of the trains to receive and guide the devotees to his master, wherever he might be at that hour, in Waukee or in the neighboring jungles. This became such a regular feature of this dog's life that visitors first looked out for Sheru immediately on their arrival at the railway station. On one occasion, a certain gentleman got down from a train. As usual, he looked out for Sheru, but he could not find anywhere near any place. He then joined a couple of other people who were also going to visit Tajuddin Baba Along, all along the visitors went on taking of the dog Shuru, or excuse me talking of the dog shiru and wondered why it did not receive them that day and finally they reached Tajuddin baba's tent they found that the saint was not there they had to search him out in the vast jungles that were at a little distance they keenly felt the absence of shiru because the dog used to spare them the pain of vainly searching for the baba for shiru used to lead them straight to him as they went about searching Tadjuddin Baba in the jungles, they were shocked to see the dead body of the dog Shiru. They were awfully grieving at this sight. Finally, when they met the Baba, they broke the sad news of Shiru's death to him. But Tadjuddin Baba bluntly said, that's impossible, come, let us see. And the party proceeded along with the Baba to the spot where the dead body of Shirou lay. There he ordered one of them to put the body in a basket and he then covered it with his own long shirt. Then he asked them to carry it to his tent. But hardly had they walked with the basket to the superfaction of one and all and ran to his master's affectionately. The dog the dog came back to life. Sorry about the broken English. Later, it lived for quite some time. And when finally it died, Tajun Baba covered its body with his own shirt, and it got buried. This place is specifically preserved, especially preserved and marked even today and is considered to be a spot of holiness in curing dog bites. I completely uh, believe this. And I'll tell you, I don't know if I've ever shared on the show, um, but back when I used to teach um, Buddhism and Eastern philosophies, I would take my students on pilgrimages. One of the places we go on pilgrimage uh, would be Bloomington, Indiana. Um, That is a place of the Tibetan Buddhist Center of Bloomington that His Holiness the Dalai Lama's brother um, created and was blessed and sanctified by the um, Dalai Lama. Of course, his brother has since passed, but if you're ever in that area, uh, Tibetan it's called the Tibetan uh, Cultural Center uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. I highly recommend it. They have such beautiful stupas there. And some of the stupas, you can one of the stupas you can actually walk through. Uh, the grounds are absolutely beautiful. But another place I used to take my students on pilgrimage was, and these were just day trips, uh, was Zen Mountain. And Zen Mountain is uh, near Natural Bridge um, in Kentucky. Again, highly recommend the place. Uh, For anyone. But anyway, when we would go to Zen Mountain, um, there was a Great Pyrenees, beautiful white Great Pyrenees dog named Mm -hmm. Zeus. And I'll never forget the very first time we went, um, the lady that was um, acting director of the center at that time um, Mm -hmm. said, hey, do you guys need uh, to walk around? and you need somebody to guide you? And, you know, we were like, yeah, this is our first time here. That'd be great. And she pointed to Zeus, the dog, and she said, just follow Zeus. He'll take you around. And just like that, Zeus looked at us and started to walk. And when we didn't instantly follow, he stopped and looked back at us and waited until we started to follow. Then he slowly started to walk and he took us on like a five, six mile hike that went all around the mountain. It was just incredibly mind blowing and amazing. And I have, I love this. I have a picture of me and Zeus, and I love this picture because you can, I could just feel his spirit. It was so pure and beautiful and radiating. And of course, that was so many years ago. And and Zeus has since left that physical form and has ascended, no doubt. And no doubt he's a saint as well. But I completely believe this story, you know, um, about the dog, you know, going, you know, Sheru going and and getting the people from the train and, and bringing them to find the Baba. No matter where he was in either city or even in the jungle, he always knew exactly where to find the Baba. And it's just awesome. It's just such a beautiful story that, you know, something happened to Sheru and, you know, the Baba brought him back. You know, and he lived for, you know, some more years. You know, but then when he finally passed, which is when he was meant to ascend, you know, the Baba buried him. And now it's a sacred spot. And I know, folks, these stories are so fantastical and so far out there and so not of our normal beliefs and culture. That's why we've got to go from the head to the heart. And these stories are stories that you need to feel. You need to absorb. You need to listen with your heart and not your mind. Because your mind is going to, and, and the darkness is going to throw all kinds of poo poo all over it and, and try to dissuade you from believing these things. And, folks, these things, all of these stories are meant to help you with your faith and your spiritual practice. I mean, as we've talked about so much here lately, you know, how. How and what are you feeding your soul? How often are you feeding your soul and what are you feeding it? Are you feeding it hip hop music and news and you know just depressing things and 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 mean and aggravating and killing and death and or or are you feeding it the things that it needs to be nourished? The things that it needs to grow and achieve the um missions of why you, me, everyone is actually here. You know, it takes effort. We have to focus, and we've talked about this, so I'll stop rambling, but I just wanted to reiterate this. Another famous instance of this type is that a lady named Garija Baye, who was a courtesan and suffered from a dreadful disease which defied all treatments. Finally, she resorted to the service of Tajuddin Alia, which is Baba. One day, Kashinath Patel's men found her dead in her tent, and they reported this to the master. The latter sent a message to Tajuddin Baba and wanted to know whether her body was to be cremated or buried. But before the messenger reached the saint, who was sitting at a spot in the jungle, the latter had already sent tea, through one of the devotees of Gersha Bay. The two men met on the way. The Patel's men told Baba's man that he need not take the trouble of taking the tea to the tent of Gersha Bay. She was dead. But the Baba's men were staunch devotees of Baba and refused to believe the Patel's men and decided to carry out his order the order of his master, under any circumstances. So they proceeded to Gurja Bay's tent and found that she was actually dead. Three or four ladies were sitting near the dead body, lamenting and wailing. Regaining his own composure at this mournful scene, the tea bearer from Baba Tajudin slowly approached the dead lady and called upon three times The Tajudan Baba had sent tea for the revival at Baba's name by opening her mouth and sipping the tea slowly. Soon after, she sat up and inquired where Tajuddin Baba was, and she came out of her tent. While all those who gathered there were awfully amazed, Tajuddin Baba himself came there and asked her to sing a devotional song, which she rendered quite melodiously. News of this remarkable miracle spread all over the city like wildfire. Excuse me. Gurjo lived for many more years and died a natural death. Cases of miraculous heading, or excuse me, miracles are no less wonderful. For instance, one Tukaram suffered from a most obstinate type of cough for over 30 years. It not only deprived him of a peaceful sleep, but also defined all attempts of curing it. One of Tukaram's friends, advised him to seek the blessing of the famous Muslim saint of Waqi. At first, he did not take his advice seriously, but perhaps it was Tajuddin Baba who willed the Tukaram must go to him. He happened to accompany his Seth, his boss, to Waqi. During their stay, suddenly Tukaram had an impulse to take tea for Tajuddin Baba, and he poured it in a silver tumbler and started for the Baba's abode. His stingy boss objected to the tea being taken out in a costly silver tumbler for fear of losing it. Dekoram, however, stuck to his own wish and managed to take the tea to Baba in the silver tumbler only. When he was still a hundred yards away from the saint, the latter asked him, Why bring the tea in that tumbler? Those words immediately revealed the saint's omniscience to Tukorum, who at once prostrated before him and begged him to accept his humble offering. The merciful Baba accepted the same and taking the tumbler in his hand, said, If only you had brought this tea 30 years ago, you would not have suffered so much all these years. Why, Tukorum was marveling at the saint's intimate knowledge of his ailments and its exact duration. The latter took up a pinch of dust and gave it to him, asking, Eat it, you will be all right. Takaram ate it and was instantaneously cured of his age long disease. And that night was the first in thirty years when he slept soundly, undisturbed by violent coughing. Even his boss was surprised at this cure. There are other kinds of petitioners to to Baba. Many of them were childless, were blessed with children, and almost in every case, there is an unmistakable evidence that the miracle happened expressly at the command of this man of God. For instance, once two ladies came to Waki from Amarati. When they approached him, Tajuddin Baba was sitting on the steps leading to the river. Saluting him respectfully, the ladies revealed, their sad plight to him. Both of them were married for over twelve or thirteen years, but were not blessed with children. Hearing their plight, the juden baba picked up two balls of sweets from sweets offered to him, and he gave one to each of them as a token of a blessing. One of the women ate it, and then there was with faith in the powers of the saint, but the other had little faith, so she stealthily let it slip that she had given her into the sand below and covered it up cleverly, so not to be noticed by anyone. So the one was, had faith, so she ate it, but the other one hid hers and did not have the faith. After a while, the ladies returned to Amarotzi. In the course of the next year, the one who had eaten the sweet had a so but wondered why her companion was not blessed with a child. They once again started together to went to Weki one to put her child at the feet of the saint. So one that ate the sweets had a baby, the other one didn't, so they went back. So she took her child to be blessed and also for the other lady to find out why it didn't work for her and to secure future blessings for the child. While the other was repentant at the heart for her folly, envious of the good fortune of her companion, the unfortunate lady decided to seek Baba's blessing again. When they arrived at Waki. The one happily got her child blessed by the Baba, but the other was naturally full of shame. So she slapped her own cheeks before the saint as a sign of her repentance and pleaded with him, Baba, where is my child? And Baba coolly replied, It is in the sand. Take it out from there, where she buried that sweet. She then frankly confessed her folly and imploringly begged his pardon. The saint was the embodiment of God's love. So he forgave her and again gave her something to eat. This time she too was blessed with a child within a year of her return home. Okay, so folks, there are so many more more stories listed here. And again, I implore you, please check out the article and, and read, them, read all of these stories, read it. It's 50 pages, It believe me, as you can tell, From this show, it goes by very fast. So I will fast forward uh, a little bit to um, when Baba became ill and when he passed away. It says, as the month of July of 1924 drew to its close, the health of Baba began to fail and showed no improvements for 10 days. He grew very weak, could not even move out in his usual fashion. Maharaja Rao was extremely upset at his condition and started visiting him very frequently. The communal rivalry set, set able by a few perverse individuals was continuing unabated because what part I didn't get to read you guys is there became a rival uh, guy, Baba or whatever, that started trying to compete with, with um, Tajuddin Baba. Um, so that's what it's referring to here. Some of the Muslim devotees of Baba encamped themselves on the road, but as they were private lands, the owners had them evicted. Then they settled on a land granted to them by uh, someone else. With Tajuddin Baba's consent, Karim Baba was first to raise structure there. Soon many others followed and thus came into existence the present Taj Abab Sharif. And now the Baba ordered that the bell that used to be sounded every day at sunrise in the palace of the Maharaj be rung henceforth, and Baba went there and sat in the mosque and asked for some food. All the devotees brought food, but he ate a little and then slowly walked along a road towards the city. On the way, he stopped in an open plot of land and sat there. He then picked up a handful of dust, smelt it, and declared, This soil is good. If you raise a building here for me, it will be good. After a moment's pause, he again said, no no, keep quiet. A hut will be enough. In the following days, Baba's health steadily deteriorated, yet he kept loitering a little and every in the evenings. Now the holy month of Bakirid commenced. Bakirid, id. On the sighting of this month, month's moon every year the devotees of the Baba used a new um. Lungi, which is a wrapper around the lower part of the body, a wrap, and used to go to every street of Nakpur to grant his blessing to one and all, including those who could not go to his place. But this time the Baba strictly ordered that he should be offered no new garments, nor did he move out. A whole month passed in a state of suspension till the month of Maharam commenced. It was evening, of Monday the 17th of August 1925, a large number of birds gathered on the Maharaja's palace, but contrary to their natural behavior, they were all unusually quiet and still. The Baba raised his hands up and prayed for the welfare of all, blessed them, lay peacefully down on the couch. With a slight gurgling sound in his throat, he let his spirit merge into the infinite. The news spread to all parts of Napur's city like wildfire. The whole city was terribly shocked and upset. Every soul felt as if the city was deprived of its study, sturdy support on which it had consciously and unconsciously learned to lean on. Both Hindus and Muslims felt the loss too deeply and burst into wailing and tears. They thronged to Sakadara, yearning to have a last glimpse of their beloved saint who was a symbol of the Lord's grace and blessings to them, a most dependable friend to silver their worldly troubles and avert misfortunes for half a century. Just as he was born without a cry, he passed away without a cry too. He who displayed an unusual bearing at birth was bound to have it in leaving the world also. Anna, what was this? It came to light a few days after his death in the evening news dated the 25th of August 1925. Mr. Narana Rao Haddon recorded that tears flowed continuously for 12 hours from the eyes of the idols of Lord Vitha and Rukmi Devi in the Pardon Mandir temple and the many devotees who were there in the temple witnessed this highly amazing scene. Leading newspapers of this country, like the Madras Mail and Andhra Patrika of the 22nd August 1925, currently wrote that he, who was Lord Rama, had reappeared in the world in the soul of Baba Tajuddin Aliyah. And when his work was finished, he left the earth and he was recognized. So if you didn't quite understand that, um, you know the statues that were in the mosques, in the Hindu temples, um, in certain areas, started to weep. They started to cry. And we've seen this with the Marian apparitions as well, like with the, the Lady of Fatima um, statue, in others as well. I mean, it's, this is very well documented in the Roman Catholic faith. So, I mean, this too, I believe, I mean, it can't be just for one faith. When the divine, when the Creator does what it wants to do, it It happens regardless of what label we as humans want to place on it. But this meager sketch of Baba's life does not end here because he gave two promises, most most empathetically, one to all mankind at large and the other to the Maharaja. The latter prince amply testifies to the truth of the former promise and supplements it ambiguously. Baba's promise to mankind is that he will be here so he makes one hundred and twenty five thousand saints what the dimensions and implications of the sainthood of each of these saints are can be easily gauged. In Tajudan Baba's own sainthood, there is, in Hindu scriptures, the statement that the perfect master, the Sat Guru, makes his disciple equal to himself in all respects. So the article continues by listing at least five different uh, great Sufi monarchs and mystics that were students of uh, Baba's and how they are saints and they continue to train saints. And it continues by saying to return to our continuing subject, the assurance which Baba gave to the Maharaja was that his couch would remain in his house for many years. These statements put together reveal that Baba would be available to us for spiritual guidance. So I guess it was the couch that he sat on or you know reclined on uh, when he would stay with the Maharaja uh, at the palace. So that did remain there and people could go there and um would be cured, they could ask for help, they could ask for blessings and um miracles and things would continue to happen so that my dear brothers and sisters is the truly maha and cred amazing story and and beyond fantastical story of uh, um baba Uh, just beyond words even though there are words here uh, could you only imagine being just a witness to one of these things it's just literally mind-blowing and as we see from the reactions of everyday common people And professionals, scientists, you know, doctors who are well educated in science were just completely blown away, literally melted uh, to what he was doing. And it's what an amazing, remarkable being and still available today. You can, you know, pray to Tajuddin Baba for intercession, for healing. I highly recommend it, especially those of you who are having any kind of lung ailments, as he was talking about with the one gentleman who had, you know, the coughing for thirty years. He picked up some dust off the ground and gave it to him, told him to eat it, and it cured him. So, you know, if you have uh, respiratory illnesses, ailments, um, please feel free to ask Tajuddin Baba uh, for help. For his intervention, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it, no matter what your faith is, you're not being her, heretic and abandoning your faith. You are reaching out. You are seeing the truth in the light of all beings, and that we are all brothers and sisters, and we are all spirits. And souls of the divine, of the creator. And the more we understand it, the more we realize it, the more we connect with these great beings, because we are all from the same source. We all receive the same light. It's just you have to become more in tune with it. And the more in tune with it you are, the more you are like you can be like Tajuddin Baba and, and do these things. It's not out of the ordinary. Believe me, um, those of you who have been to India I'm sure can attest to healers over there. A lot of them are charlatans, but a lot of them are legit. And, you know, they are just like Baba. So again, I so hope and pray you all have enjoyed this show and that you please go to the link in the show description. um, And, and really take some time and read the 50 pages over uh, of the Baba's um, life and death and after, because where I've stopped here, is only not even halfway through the biography because it continues on about his students and his students' students and how his light and the light of the creator just continues to be passed to one or the other because he became an angel, you know, and, and could, you know, tune in with all of these uh, people, all of these students and help just keep that blessing going. The Oblates of Perpetual Light is the first of its kind. We are the very first group of Oblates to fully utilize the internet to organize and communicate. This allows everyone and anyone to join from all over the world. The Oblates of Perpetual Light are inclusive, meaning everyone is welcome regardless of their beliefs, faith, identification, gender, sexual preference, etc. We are independent, meaning that we are not affiliated with any church other than being connected with the faith and more ministries, and we are transdenominational. denominational We are not affiliated with any one religion. We greatly respect the beliefs and freedoms of others. We are all children of the universe. Only four things are required of any oblate Perpetual Light. The first, study and contemplate some sacred text of your faith at least once a day it's up to you how much you study and contemplate it can be as little as a sentence or as much as you wish you choose when where and how long number two is prayer prayer is key in the heart of the oblate's perpetual light it is imperative that an oblate pray sometime during the day or night again this is up to you to choose when where and for how long The Oblates will gather together online, typically Zoom, at least once a month. There is also a Facebook group where Oblates can meet and commune more often if they choose. There are Oblates who are very social and there are Oblates who are very private. All are respected. If you are more private and or ascetic, you will need to keep in contact with the director of Oblates, moi, privately. Number four. Love and respect all members, regardless of their faith. We are here as a group, not just as individuals. Everyone's faith, beliefs, views, etc., will be respected. Bullying, hate, attacks, and etc., will not be tolerated. If this all sounds kosher and great to you, and you would like to become a member of the Oblates Perpetual Light, please contact me, our director, at oblates.pl at gmail.com. Again, that's oblates, O-B-L-A-T-E-S dot P-L at gmail.com. I hope to see you as an oblate very soon. So I would like to close with a beautiful Sufi prayer. Um, And again, I hope, I so hope and pray that you all enjoyed this show and that it really opened your heart and mind um, to the um, Sufi faith, Muslim faith, uh, Hindu faith. Not that I'm saying to convert or change or anything, but just to be more open and accepting and loving and understanding of other faiths. So let us pray. O thou the light of all souls, the life of all beings, the healer of our hearts, all-sufficient, and all-powerful God, the forgiver of our shortcomings. Free us from all pain and suffering, and make us thy instruments, that we may in turn free others from pain and suffering, and we may impart to them your light, your life, your joy, and your peace. Amen. I so hope and pray you've enjoyed the show and that you found everything that you're searching for and more here with us. Stop by anytime, all the time. You are family. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with as many people as possible, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you really enjoyed the show, please consider making an offering. Offerings are a great way to help sustain and improve the show and the Faith and More Ministry. Offerings can be made through Patreon at patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash faith and more podcast next is prayers i love to pray and our faith and more family love to pray as well so let us pray for you you can email me directly at faith and more podcast at gmail.com i am also offering healing sessions now that involve angelic intuitive and quantum healing this is done via phone or zoom due to the scope of energy and time involved in this type of healing, there is a minimum donation required. Please contact me for more information at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please don't forget about our YouTube channel. There's lots of great videos there, and it gives you more of an immersive experience. Just go to youtube.com slash at faithandmorepodcast. So until next time, have a most blessed week, and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you. Well, hey, are you still here? Good, because it's book nook time this Wednesday. Don't forget. Prayer requests and updates for this week are as follows. We do have a few more requests. Um, The first is Chris. Chris is a young woman of the age of 50. She is Lisa's stepsister, and um, Clyde's stepdaughter. She had a mini stroke a few weeks back and was pretty much just dismissed by the hospital. They didn't do much to do anything to help her. They sent her home. She's having some drooping in her face. Uh, So let us please, please, please keep her in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Also, uh, Bill and Joanne. Bill is my father. Joanne's my stepmother. Uh, Joanne's been having health issues for quite some time. She could definitely use our, our prayers. Uh, Bill, I uh, recently found out that he has a tumor in his ear that's uh, on the bone in his ear, and it is going to have to be removed surgically or it could actually go into his brain. So I will let you all know when uh, that surgery is going to be. It should be forthcoming here. Pretty soon, so if we could keep them in our heart, thoughts, and prayers, that would be great. Also, Kayla, Terry, Denise, Nicholas, Taylor, Weston, Maudie, Stephanie, Sarah and Kia, Elaine and Bob, again, Clyde and Lisa, Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Tr- uh, excuse me, Trish, Chad and their family, Bishop Ashley and his family, Brother Abel. Mike S. and Kelly and their family, Michael W. and his family, Tanya and her family, Cheryl, uh, Father Mike, and Eddie, and Eddie's mother, Becky, Emma, Jean, Kathy, and Tony and their family, Michael T., Kyra, Courtney Moore, Jan, James, and Linda. And if you are in need of prayers, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to me My contact information is coming up here in just a moment. I love to pray and our faith and more family love to pray. So please allow us to pray for you. And if you're in need of deeper healing, um, as I noted earlier, I do the angelic healing now. Please reach out to me. I'll be more than happy to have a consultation um, call or discovery call with you, which is absolutely free. And we can discuss more then.